Well, welcome everybody. Thanks for being here this weekend. There's still some folks coming in looking for seats, so if you would scooch in a little bit, that would be phenomenal. And uh, it's a good time for me to remind you that on Saturday night, there's seats and parking and you only have to give 9%. It's awesome. And Jesus will love you even more if you do that or go to the extension. But welcome. A happy Mother's Day weekend. If what I just said is news to you, you're dead. Uh, so you can still go to Cracker Barrel or Walmart. It'll be open. Uh, but thanks for being here and thanks for celebrating together. We're going to start a new series this weekend uh, called Life Intentional. And what we're doing, this is kind of a, a little bit of a bump series off of our last one. We, we did a series called uh, It's What We Do. And during that, It's What We we do series, we did a challenge, and in that challenge, what we did was we introduced or reintroduced to some of us the idea of spiritual disciplines. Uh, so some, a bunch of us actually work to read the Bible every day and pray every day and fast and rest and be a part of biblical community and church and all those kind of things. And, and those things, we often call them spiritual disciplines. They are avenues or pathways that help you get closer to God. There's nothing particularly spiritual per se about the activity. It's the heart behind it, kind of what you do with it. And if you want to know God and you want to be closer to God, these are some of the pathways that the Bible would lay out for us. And so what I want to talk to you about for a few weeks is how do we take those practices and turn them into habits, life habits, where we would look and say, this now is the way that we live. It's, it's what we do. It becomes our instinct. It becomes just kind of who we are. And growing in Christ and being closer to Christ and getting to know Christ is something that is intentionally drawn on and introduced into our lives. And so life intentional, we're going to look at that. Here, here's the deal. Ready? Health is always found through your habits. Health is always found through your habits. So if I habitually eat Big Macs, I'm going to not be healthy. If that's a news flash, I'm praying for you. But it's not going to be healthy. If I eat Big Macs most of the time and once in a while have like a carrot, right? It's not going to counteract the Big Mac, right? If I want to be healthy, I need to eat that way on a regular basis. If I want to be in shape, then I have to make the time to run or go to the gym or whatever. I have to do it on purpose. It's not just going to happen. Health is found in the habits that we keep, or you could even say loss in the habits that we keep. And if I want spiritual health, if I want to grow spiritually, be closer to God, that's not just going to like happen. Those are steps or habits that I'm going to bring into my life so that I can build that health up over time, right? So here at Grace, we talk about this idea a lot. We talk about knowing it, living it, and giving it away. <clears throat> we want to know it, live it, give it away. If you come here for a long time, you're familiar with that phrase. Uh, know it, live it, give it away. It's on our walls. People that really love Jesus might have a tattoo of this somewhere. Uh, that would be cool. Know it, live it, give it away. And we say it is the story of Jesus. So we want to know Christ. We want to know Christ through God's word. It is the story of Jesus. We want to live Christ, or we might say the gospel is the way the Bible would say it. We want to live out the gospel. And then we want to give Christ away. We want to give the gospel away. We want to know it, live it, and give it away. And we say this, that, that know it, live it, give it away. One of, the, one of the purposes that that phrase kind of lays out for us is it's a way for us to take our spiritual vital signs. 
am I knowing it more and more and more? Am I growing in my knowledge of God's heart and mind? Am I living it more and more? Is it becoming my way of life? Am I giving it away more and more and more, right? We want these things to be ever increasing in our lives because the story of Jesus is the focal point of our lives and the calling that God has on everyone's life. So in this series, we're going to talk about how to do that. How do we get the habits in place? How do we live in such a way that that is increasing more and more? And I want to start this weekend with the idea of knowing it, kind of lean into that idea a little bit. How do I know it? How do I know God's word? How do I, through God's word, know the heart and the mind of Jesus in a deeper and deeper way? Something that we say at Grace a lot is this, I cannot know God if I do not know the Bible. I cannot know God if I do not know the Bible. It's through the authoritative, inspired words of God that Jesus has most clearly revealed himself to us. We learn about God the most through the Bible. So if I want to know God and walk with God and love God and interact with God, I can't do that if I don't know the Bible. And that's part of what would motivate me to be in God's word on a regular basis. It's not a, a religious thing or a thing that like brings good luck to me. It's a pathway to the heart and the mind of God where I can know him and interact with him more and more. So how do I do that? And what would that look like? And how do I do that? Intentionally. So what I want to do this weekend is I want to introduce you to a guy, or for some of us, reintroduce you to a guy named Timothy. Timothy was a disciple or a guy being trained spiritually by the Apostle Paul. And Timothy would be an example in the Bible uh, of kind of what we would want, right? If I was looking at a friend that I was training spiritually, I would want them to be like Timothy. I would, if I was looking in the mirror, I would want to be like Timothy. I would be like, I want those things in my life. If I'm a parent, I would want to train my kids so they could become like Timothy. And we're going to look at what he was like and then try to figure out how he got there. Okay, so grab your Bibles if you got them and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you want to use the Bibles in the chairs, it's page 833 in those Bibles. And these scriptures and notes are all in the app if you want to open up the app as well. 2 Timothy chapter 3, page 833, starting with verse 14. This is the end of a long conversation that Paul is having with Timothy. And he, he tells Timothy, hey, buddy, you got it, and you're doing it right. It's like this is the conclusion of Timothy's training process. And what Paul is saying now is take what you've done and continue in it. So he says this in verse 14, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. He says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. All Scripture, the whole Bible, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that, in, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says to Timothy, he says this in verse 14, he says, listen, bud, I want you to continue in what you have learned. Uh, Timothy, you've learned this stuff. Your training is complete, you might say, right? I have mentored you. Your mom, your grandma have mentored you. I want you to continue in it. 
uh, and, and because you have become convinced of it. So you've learned it, and you become convinced of it, and I want you to continue in it. You've learned the story of Jesus. You become convinced of the story of Jesus. And I want you to continue to live out the story of Jesus. Timothy landed where you and I would want to land. I, I want to learn the scriptures, learn the heart of mind of God, become convinced of the heart of mind of God, and live out the heart and the mind of God. If I was training a, my a roommate or a friend or somebody I was discipling, I would want them to be that. I want you to learn about Jesus, accept Jesus, believe in Jesus, live out what Jesus would have us to live out and to continue in that, do that for a lifetime. If I'm a, if I, as a dad, as a mom, I would want my kids to learn it, be convinced of it, and continue in it, right? I'd want them to believe what I believed about the scriptures and about Christ and about the life that he calls us to believe. And so Paul is saying, hey, Tim, good job. You nailed this. You, you learned it and you became convinced of it because you know those from whom you learned it. Now, in another part of the, of the writings, we find out about those that Timothy learned it from. And the key players in Timothy's spiritual life were his mother, his grandmother, and his mentor, the Apostle Paul. And Paul says to them, listen, you know these scriptures, and you know that they're God-breathed, and you know that they're useful for teaching, training, correcting, and rebuking, and, and they're useful for training you in righteousness. You know all that, because from infancy, your mom and your grandma taught you these things, and then later on, when you were like in college kind of thing, I came along and helped to cement these things in your life. You know us, and you know what we've been teaching you, and that's part of how you learned it, why you became convinced of it, and it's part of what will help you to continue in it. So what was it that mom and grandma and the, and the apostle Paul did for Timothy? What environments was Timothy put into? What was he exposed to? What was explained to him? And if I am looking to grow and grow more and more in my relationship with Christ, what environments would I be drawn to? And if I'm looking to pass that all on, what environments would I want to create for those I'm discipling or training or my kids or whoever it happens to be? What, what, what was Timothy exposed to from infancy what did he see and what did he lock into? Now, the Apostle Paul actually tells us this. Way back at the, a few verses before verse 14 is verse 10. And he talks to Timothy about what he saw in his life that helped him learn it and become convinced of it and continue in it. And he says this in verse 10. He says, Timothy, you know all about my teaching. You know all about my way of life. You know about my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. Timothy, you were exposed to teaching, the teaching in God's word. You were exposed to a way of life. Grandma lived it. Your mom lived it. I lived it. You were exposed to a purpose-driven person, you might say, someone who is living their life for Christ. You were exposed to displays of faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and suffering. These were the environments that Timothy grew up in that caused all of this to click. And when he embraced it, put him in a position where he learned it, was convinced of it, and continued 
in it, right? So let's look at these a little bit. The Apostle Paul looks and says, hey, Timothy, first of all, you were exposed to my teaching. Your mom and grandma taught you the scriptures from infancy, and then I taught it to you, and you know all about my teachings. We taught you the Bible, and you learned it, and you were exposed to it your whole life. Timothy was certainly exposed to consistent, loving, truthful Bible teaching. Uh, today we would say this, that, that Timothy was taught the Bible, or Timothy was maybe raised in the church, and this was a regular and normal and important part of his life. He was taught these things his whole life. If we're going to know it and grow and take experiences and turn them into habits so that we can get closer and closer to Christ, a critical element of that is being under the consistent teaching of the Bible. Because as the Bible is taught to us, it reveals the heart and the mind of Jesus. You cannot know Jesus if you do not know the Bible. And making sure that there's a regular diet of the word of God in my life. I can't eat Big Macs every day and have a carrot on the weekends and think my health balance is out. What I take in consistently is going to habit by habit produce uh, godliness in my life if I do it that way. Now this is critical, guys, because when, when we think about this, the things that influence us the most in our life is often our culture. Okay, and an element of our culture, I'll just use this as an example. As an example, media affects us a lot in our lives, right? So the stats say this, the average North American, and by the way, this is no longer just true for teenagers. The average North American consumes between eight and 12 hours of media a day. And when you think about television and you think about radio, that's old school stuff. Now think about YouTube, think about social media, Snapchat, Twitter for old people, Facebook, like all that kind of stuff. That stuff, media is with us all day, every day. For most people, the first thing we do in the morning is click into media. And for most people, the last thing we do at night is click into media. And that's not all bad or all good. I'm not on a soapbox. I'm just saying it's the way that it is. Now, as a practical matter, that same media is presented by people, we'll just call it the culture, by the, a culture that has been blinded by the God of this age. It is a consumption of thought and influence that is godless, right? On, on one scale, it's godless in just the idea that it's useless. Like the kid yodeling in Walmart is useless, right? So it's not anti-God, it's just godless, it's void of God. On the other side, it's anti-God, right? Where it's ideas or truths that are being pushed, being created, that would, would go against the, the cause or the teachings of scripture. And eight to 12 hours a day, this is affecting my mind, which will affect my heart. It's a diet of consumption of godlessness. Now, if I have a regular devotional time, how long does it last? 15 minutes? If 
I go to church on a regular basis. And I'm not trying to sound, I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm just doing math here. That's all. The average committed person, the average committed church attender today comes two out of five weekends. You can't even say two times a month anymore. Two out of five weekends. So if I have a devotional time and if I come to church on a regular basis and if the kids are in power kids and if they come to youth group, if I took all of my consumption of God, purposeful, intentional consumption of God, and I averaged it out over the, over the week and made it a daily number, eight to 12 hours of godless media and what, 45 minutes of Christ? Maybe, if, see, there's no way there's no way to have a Big Mac every day and eat a carrot. It's impossible. See? And when you look at Timothy, who landed where we would want to land, he learned it. He knew the scripture. He was convinced of it, and he lived it. He continued in it. What was happening to him? From infancy, he was exposed consistently to the teaching of God's word. It was a normal part of his life. It was an intentional action. As a, as a teenager, an adult, he would have exposed himself to it. He can consume himself. As a child, his mom and his grandmother were making sure that it was a part of his life. The Bible was a normal part of his life. He was raised in the context of the church, is how we would say it today. And it, it, it's what counteracted the disbelief that was all around him, see? And it was on purpose. It was, it was intentional. And if I want that, and I want that for the people that I love or I'm training, that would be a habit that I would pick up, see? That I would build into the fabric of my family, that I would make a priority in my life and then in the life of my kids. So he learned it. He learned it intentionally from infancy. So he knew the holy scriptures and therefore their power was available for him in his life. Now, Paul goes on. He says, Timothy, you knew my teaching. And the next thing he says is this. He says, you also knew my way of life. So you, you heard me and your mom and grandma, you heard us say these things about the Bible, teach you about the Holy Scriptures, but then you watch them lived out in us. Jesus made sense to you because you could look at us and you could see the Holy Scriptures being lived out. For Timothy, faith was not a place or a religious practice. It was a worldview that he perceived as a way of life. He saw the scriptures with skin on them through the life of his family and then later on his mentor, Paul. So when, when he heard something about God wants us to be concerned about the needs of the world, he was watching grandma and mom be concerned about the needs of the world. He was involved in that. When he heard the value of biblical community, he wasn't watching his parents go off to a Bible study or off to a group that he wasn't invited to. That was happening in his home, 
See, when Paul planted that church, Timothy was in on it, so to say. It was right there. When he heard things about like the rich taking care of the poor, he would have seen his mom and his grandma caring for those who were impoverished. He heard the scriptures and then he watched the way of life. He watched it be lived out in real time. When I was getting this ready, I was thinking about my mom because it's Mother's Day weekend, obviously. And and I got to thinking about Phyllis. And uh, when I thought about my mom, my mom was an amazing lady on, on so many levels. I could, I could tell you story after story of my mom. Uh, she was just an incredible lady. And one of the things that she was amazing at was she was amazing at being compassionate and, and cheering for and defending the underdog. Justice was a big deal to my mom. Something was right, something was wrong, and there was kind of no in between, right? And, and she and dad were like that. They were compassionate, generous, just people. They were kind of the, the kind of people that give you the shirt off their back. That's kind of the way that they, they were. One of the ways that this plays out was, was this way. We, I grew up in a neighborhood, and we had a hoarder in our neighborhood. I didn't know they were a hoarder until the TV show came out. We just called her the junkie lady. <laughs> I didn't know what to call her. And so we grew up with a junkie lady, and her name was Ann Shy. And she, she hoarded junk, she hoarded cars, and she hoarded dogs. And so that, that was all in her house. And I grew up like in a suburban neighborhood. So nice little houses, nothing big or fancy, just little houses, but nice lawns. People cared about their property. And then there was a hoarder in it. And her house, our bus stop was right across the street from her house. So in the wintertime, when you went to the bus stop and it was still dark outside, you would go up there and the dog she hoarded would chase you down, which was great that no adult in our neighborhood ever thought to move the bus stop anyways. So <clears throat> we just kind of grew up with Ann Shy around us all the time. Now, the scene I'm about ready to describe to you played out in my home countless times. So we would sit down for dinner. Where our dining room was, dad would sit and his back would be to the front door and the rest of us would be around the table. We didn't have air conditioning in our house, so the windows were open and the screen door was open and we'd be having dinner. We'd be in the middle of dinner, and we hear knock, knock, knock on the metal screen door. If anybody had one of those, that had a real unique sound. Knock, knock, knock on the screen door. Mom would look up and look at the door. She would look at Dad, and then she'd look down like that. And Ann Shy would be at our door. Ann did not have water. She didn't have sewage. She didn't have a telephone. And so my parents were the only people in the neighborhood who were kind to her. And so she would come down and get water at our house and use the telephone. And she would show up at dinner time. And mom would get up from the dinner table and she'd go to the door and she'd say, Hi, Ann. Hi, Phyllis. And she'd say, Come on in, Ann. <clears throat> come on in. Can I use your phone and get some water? Sure, Ann. And then this is the question every time Ann, have you had dinner? Well, no, but I'm okay. No. Sit down with us and have dinner. And me and my sisters would be like, I mean, it was it's terrible. Her teeth, her breath, her the odor. And she would sit down and you would spend the rest of the dinner like trying to swallow because Anne was sitting beside you. 
And after dinner, we would get up, we had chores, we'd do our chores, and Ann would say, can I use the phone? And she would use the phone. And then she'd say, can I use the restroom? She'd use the restroom. And then she'd say, well, it's good to see you. And mom would say, well, what's going on in your life? And she would visit with Ann. And Ann was a smoker, so mom got her an ashtray. And so she would smoke in our house with the ashtray sitting in the chair. And after a few minutes, Ann would get up and leave, and dad would go and fill her water jug up for her, and she'd be on her way. And the door would shut, and this is what would happen every time. Mom would go get one of those 55-gallon drums of Lysol, and she would Lysol the, the, the table, the phone, the chair, the toilet, the children. Like she, We'd have to breathe it in to cleanse our lungs you know, and she would, she would lice all the whole thing, you know, because Anne was there and she was contaminated. Now, if you said to me, if you said to me, Pastor Jeff, quote me 10 verses on compassion and caring for the poor, I would have trouble quoting them to you. If you said to me, teach me about compassion and caring for the poor, I would start to describe to you what my mother did. I would tell you about her way of life. See, Paul says to Timothy, hey, you know my teachings and you know my way of life. Because you're not going to remember every word I said. Nobody can memorize the whole Bible. It's not about the information. It's about the transformation. And so Paul looked at Timothy and says, you know what I taught you? And you know how this works, bud. You watch me. You watch your mom. You watch your grandma live this out in real time. And you know my way of life. Now, you start to see the pattern, don't you? There's a foundation of the scripture raised in the church under the teaching of God's word, a consistent diet. And then there's a model. There's making Jesus make sense in real time. The mentors in Timothy's life were doing the things that they were teaching Timothy about. And the scripture was being cemented in his mind and in his heart. He saw life transformation. He locked into it. And he started to learn it. And the outcome of it was that he learned it, he was convinced of it, and he continued in it. Now, Paul adds another thing to his list. He says, you know my teaching, you know my way of life, and you know my purpose. You, you know what I actually live for, Timothy. <clears throat> you know what, what it means the most to me. When Timothy was watching this stuff come together, it wasn't a bumper sticker for him or a T-shirt or a coffee mug. It was a life transformation. I, I hear this truth. I see this truth. And I actually believe that my mentor and my mom and my grandma live this on purpose. When they say, to, <clears throat> to, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, I actually believe them. When they say that giving your life for the calling and the cause of Jesus is the biggest and most important investment you ever make, I actually believe them because I see what they, I know what they taught me and I see the way that they live. I trust their purpose. In fact, it's fascinating. And a few verses later, Paul says this to Timothy. Think about the outrageousness of this, of what he says here. He says this, he says, Timothy, but for you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I 
am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Ready? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul is mentoring Timothy and he looks at him and he says, listen, I taught you the Bible. You see my way of life. And you know, you know, it's true, Timothy. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have a crown of righteousness. That's a pretty arrogant claim if it's not true. And when Paul looks at Timothy and says, listen, you know the way that I lived. You know what I gave my life to. And you know that when I say I did my best and I did it to the end and God's going to reward me for it, you actually know that that's true. You know my purpose. When Timothy heard Paul say that, he didn't roll his eyes, right? You know that, honey, church is so important. You, need to, you really need to get to church, and, and two out of five weekends, we'll, we'll get you there because this is one of the most important things in your life, <laughs> right? You know, honey, you're very blessed. You're a spoiled rich kid. You just get everything you want. You need to be generous and give of your money. Do you tithe that? Well, no, it isn't. Right. How dare you speak disrespectfully to me? I can't believe that you use that language in this house. Where'd you learn it from? See? Christ is the center of everything. There's no higher priority you know, if I, was, if I was looking at the schedule, I would swear that was baseball or school or soccer or extracurricular because we never miss that. You work hard to train me in those things. See? And Paul looked at Timothy and said, buddy, your mom and grandma... You know what they taught you from, from your whole life. And you know how they lived. So you can do the math on their purpose. And when they say to live as Christ, you're actually convinced that they believe that. You actually adopted that. That actually became how you live too, because their, their purpose played out and you trusted it. See? Paul kind of finishes with a flurry. He says, you know my teachings, right? You, you, your whole life, you, you've seen it with skin on it. I know you can't quote everything about compassion, but you can remember what your mom did. And you know, you know the purpose of the people in your life. You know whom you learn this from. You know that they're all legit. And then he finishes with this flurry, and he says this. You know about my faith, patience, love, endurance, per persecutions, and sufferings. Isn't that weird? He's like, he just, you know about all this stuff. Faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. Later on in the passage, 
he tell, tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, you were with me. You were with me. Remember when we were in this one city and, and they persecuted me, they tried to stone me? Remember, remember that when I was telling you that I got 40 lashes minus one because I wouldn't stop preaching the gospel of Jesus? Remember when I was in jail and I was like, come quickly and bring a cloak for me. And, and while I was there, like I, I, I shared Christ with the other inmates. We sang praises and led the jailer to, remember that? Remember when I was told by the, by, by the powers to be that I better never say the name of Jesus again and, and I kept appealing my case, arguing free speech in the Roman court systems so that I could tell higher and higher officials about Christ. Remember, you were with me as we were figuring that out. You were with me and you saw my faith tested. And Timothy, remember, it didn't waver. And, you, and when I was being lied about and ripped off and people being, you saw my patience. You saw true love. You saw me forgive people that didn't deserve forgiveness. You saw my endurance that I didn't, I didn't quit the first time God didn't answer the prayer that I, way I wanted it to be answered. You, you know I was persecuted for righteousness, Timothy. You were there. You saw, you, you were, you saw me suffer. And I could have made it all go away. All I had to do was say, I'm making this stuff up. And you, you saw me pay for it. And everything I taught you, and all the ways that we lived, and the thing that drove me in life, you saw it tested. I put this in my notes. The greatest learning tool and teaching tool God will ever bless you with is pain. The greatest learning tool and the greatest teaching tool that God will ever bless you with is pain. And that's what Paul is describing. Timothy, you saw me in pain. If you want to be closer to Christ and you want to be more connected to Christ and you want to know Christ on more and more of a deep level, the Bible would tell you one of the fastest and most comprehensive ways for you to be mature and completing and completed, not lacking anything, is to embrace pain. One of the greatest heresies being taught in the church today is that if I love Jesus, he will prosper me, he will make me wealthy, he will make me healthy, and all of my problems will go away. It's a heresy. It's a false teaching. It's destroying the church. Nothing real about it. One of the only things God ever promises in the scripture is that if you follow him, people will hate you because of it. You will be persecuted, he says. He never says anything about life going the way that you want it to go. And if I want to intentionally know God more, what I have to do is embrace pain differently. And pain comes to us in two ways. One way that pain comes to us is it's brought to us. And James says when those pains come to us, we should count them as joy. It is the death. It is the relational setback. It is the disappointment. It is the financial problems. And let me tell you something. 
If you'll embrace that pain instead of trying to push it away and, and forget about it and numb yourself to it, if you'll embrace it, you will be matured and completed. You will know God in a way that you've never known him before when you're in pain. You will search the scripture for the hope and the promises of God with an eagerness that you've never done before because you're in pain. You will pray with a fervency that you've never prayed with before because you're embracing pain. You will have faith, patience, endurance on levels you never thought you could even imagine because of your pain. And that pain, as you do that, that will amplify the credibility of your teaching, your way of life, and your purpose. The other way that pain comes into our life is it's self-induced. Now, I did not say harm. I said pain. Athletes self-induce pain. Devoted students self-induce pain, right? They'll introduce something into their life to get a betterment out of it. And the Bible would say that as I follow Jesus, I'm self-inducing pain. Let me give you an example of this. One of the most painful things you can do on purpose is love your enemy as yourself. That hurts. I don't want to do it. But if I would, what I learn, my way of life, my purpose will be altered because of it. If, if you want to grow like crazy, forgive as you have been forgiven. Because when someone has harmed me and wronged me and been unjust to me, I don't want to forgive. I don't want to be around them. I actually mostly want to forget. I want them out of my life. And to choose to forgive them, to reopen that wound and enter back into it is incredibly painful and will mature me and complete me. I can say no to myself. I can deny myself, see? When, when I live generously, what I'm doing is I'm saying no to what I want to give to what God wants. When I, when I restrain my sexual behavior, what I'm doing is I'm saying no to what I want to live for what God wants. It's painful. It hurts. It's hard. See? But when I do it, it matures me and completes me. And Paul looks at Timothy and he said, see what God did for me. And you watched it, buddy. And you know that what I taught you and the way that I lived and what I said was worth living for, that when I was in pain, I did not waver. My faith didn't shake. My patience didn't run out. My endurance, I never looked and said, I've had enough, forget it. And the end result of that, in part, was that Timothy learned it and was convinced of it and continued in it. Because all of that was painted for him. By the way, a little side note, moms and dads, parents, listen to me. One of, the, one of the greatest things you could do for your kids is allow them to be introduced to pain. Do not shield your children from pain. You are doing them a disservice when you do that. Teach them to introduce godly pain into their life. When you decide to say no to yourself, do it as a family. Say no to Disney World and yes to Haiti. Do it as a family. Invite people into your home that are not just energizing and fun all the time. When they're being picked on at school, teach them to love an enemy, to turn the other cheek. 
when they're against an obstacle in life, teach them to introduce the Lord. Don't go and call the teachers and make all their pain go away. How dare you cut my kid? I'm out of this school. Teach them to navigate through it. Do not deprive them of pain. Why? Timothy was welcomed into this pain with Paul. And when you infer it from scripture, you would say the same thing with his mom and grandma. We don't know what happened to Timothy's dad or what he was like, but I can tell you something. It's no cakewalk being a widow in the ancient world. His mom and grandma did not have an easy life, but Timothy was in it and around it, and they taught him the scriptures and lived for Christ and made that their purpose in life, and he saw it all, and it added up for him. And he became convinced of who Christ was, convinced that the holy scriptures were good, convinced that he should allow himself through the scriptures to be trained, corrected, Prepared for righteousness, see. And Paul says, these things, this pain cemented these teachings and this example and this purpose in your life. In my life, one of the greatest examples of this I was ever around was my mother-in-law, Heidi's mom, Cleo, was her name. And Cleo was an amazing lady, too. She was incredible. She was, um, she was born into the home of an alcoholic. And then as she grew up, her dad came to Christ and became a preacher. So she kind of had like this double-sided childhood in some ways. Uh, she was born, she's Brazilian. So she's born in Brazil and grew up in Brazil and went to Bible school in Brazil. And while she was in Bible school... Uh, dad came down, dad's an American, he came down on a short-term missions trip and met her and fell in love. So I'm just saying, single people, it's an idea, right? So she, he went down and they fell in love and there's this fun story of all these letters they exchanged and all kinds of hilarious accounts of, of uh, translating the letters and bad translations and all that kind of stuff. But the short version is a year later or so, he came back to Brazil and he married her. They got married, he barely spoke Portuguese, she barely spoke English, everything about that was kind of not a good idea, but they got married, and he pretty quickly took her out of Brazil. So he took her out of Brazil and brought her up to Indiana to go to seminary, and they went to seminary, and then they returned to Brazil as missionaries and, and were church planters. And so they planted churches as Heidi and her brother were growing up. And many of those churches are still open. In fact, a couple years ago, I preached in a church that mom and dad started. It was actually a lot of fun. And so they, they, they did all this great work there. Later on, dad came back, mom and dad came back to the States and moved into Ashland. Dad went on staff at a, a big church down there. He was a missions pastor there. So they kind of settled in Ashland, Ohio. When mom was 56... Heidi and I were out of town. We got a phone call from her dad, and he said, hey, he said, you, you should come home right away. A couple days later, we're in the Cleveland Clinic. The oncologist comes in. It's brain cancer. Mom says, what are my options? He said, if we do radical stuff, brain surgery, everything we got a year if we do kind of radical, super aggressive chemo, six months, if we do some stuff to get your pain levels down and really don't treat the cancer, just kind of manage it, three. 
I said, okay. So he left, and we're there as a family. It's Heidi and, I, and her brother and my, me and my sister-in-law and, and dad, and, and you're just kind of stunned. If you've ever been in a situation like that, there's nothing to say. I mean, you're just kind of stunned, right? You're shocked and shocked. So as was her way, mom took over. And she goes, well, I'm not going to have surgery, and I don't want chemo. She said, I want to have my mind, and I want to share Christ until I die. So I guess we're doing the three-month option. Let's pray. So we, she took our hands, and we stood in a circle. She prayed. None of us could even talk. And she prayed, and her prayer was this. She basically prayed for two things. She said, Lord... She goes, I'd like it if you healed me. If you could do a miracle and heal me, I'd like to stay here and be with my family and keep serving you. That was number one. And then she goes, but if you don't, give me the strength to tell people about you till I die. Amen. Let's see. Heidi helped her to build a website. Mom would kind of blog onto it. This was before social media, so you kind of did this stuff the hard way. That website blew up all over the world. There's people all over the world that have come to know Jesus as their Savior because of mom's story and her words that were on that website. At their church, good-sized church, about a thousand people church down in Ashland, she basically preached the Easter service via video. Doctors, nurses, everybody that came in to see her. She did a lot of ministry at the jail. So all these ex-cons like come in to see her. You never really knew who was going to be in the family room when you walked in. All of these people affected by her life. She lived six or seven weeks. Heidi and I had moved in with them. Her, Heidi's brother and his wife lived in Ashland. So we all kind of converged on the house because... She needed round-the-clock care. And I tell you, she suffered. She suffered. When the body breaks down, it's often very painful. And so she suffered and she struggled and her family surrounded her. And I never forget the morning that she died. She, she was in a hospital bed in, in their family room and Heidi and I and her brother and Joe and his wife and dad, we all stood around the bed looking at her body, see, and we prayed, and we praised the Lord, and we thanked him for his goodness. Ready? Because Heidi and Joe were taught from infancy the biblical truth about death. They, and then later us in-law kids, we watched her way of life. We didn't wonder where she was because we didn't roll our eyes at her. We knew the way she lived. And we stood there proud that she had fought the fight. We knew she finished the race. We knew she kept the faith and we knew she was getting a crown of righteousness. We knew her purpose. It was never a question mark in our mind. 
And we stood over her body convinced, convinced of what she had taught us. Convinced because we saw it. We knew how to live it because she and dad had shown us how to live it. Convinced that her purpose is the greatest purpose. That the church of Jesus Christ is the calling of Jesus Christ. We watched her faith be tested. We watched her patience. We saw true love. We saw her endure. We knew about persecutions and we watched her suffer and she never wavered. And her husband and her children and her in-laws and her grandchildren continue. See how it works? Guys, you're not just going to get godly. Mom didn't just land it in the end. See? She practiced it. She was not a perfect person. She was flawed in a thousand ways. But we watched an imperfect person who genuinely was convinced of who Christ was. And so her imperfect practices still taught and communicated to us. You're not just going to somehow know the Bible one day. It doesn't work that way. You give yourself to a relationship, and that's what the Bible is. It's a way to have a relationship with God. Your kids aren't just going to grow up and adopt your values. They're going to grow up and they're going to do what, what you do, not what you say you wish you would do. They're going to have the same habits you have. You're going to teach them that that's your purpose. See? You, it doesn't just happen out of the blue. And I am not trying to be legalistic. And if you know me and know Grace, we're not legalistic people. I'm just kind of being practical about it. You don't eat Big Macs every day and have a carrot and wind up healthy. You just don't. You don't sit on a couch for 8 to 12 hours a day and do a sit-up and wind up in shape. You just don't. You purposely, on purpose, with intention, create these habits in your life. And the outcome of it is that you learn. The outcome of it is that you see it and you live it. The outcome of it is, is that you eventually give it away because it becomes who you are. See, who God wants us to be. I wrote these questions in my notes. I said, what, what are you habitually teaching through your life? And I want you to hear me. I didn't say, are you habitually teaching? Because you are. 
You are teaching through your life all the time. You are teaching through your actions and through what you do. You're teaching your kids what you actually believe all the time. So it's not whether you are or not, it's what are you? Are you on purpose teaching the scripture, modeling the way of life, illustrating the purpose, right? The next question I wrote down was this, are you embracing your pain? Your pain is not a curse from God, that's a lie. Your pain is a gift, it's an opportunity, it's a platform. C.S. Lewis calls it a megaphone. You can teach more through pain than you can any other thing in life and you can learn more through it if you count it as joy. Are you embracing the pain of your life and the last thing I asked was this, is Christ your purpose? It, this is a big deal. The Christian life, if the reward of the Christian life, if it's not Christ, the righteous judge giving you a crown of reward, eternal treasures laid up in heaven, the glory and the fame of Jesus, if the reward of the Christian life is not Christ, then the Christian life isn't worth living. If the reward of the Christian life is prosperity and health and inspiration, you don't need to follow Jesus to get those things. There's all kinds of rich people that don't follow Jesus. Inspiration doesn't last. You cannot live an inspired life. It's, it, it literally goes against the definition of the concept, right? right? So prosperity, when are the rich rich enough? Never. Inspiration and health? Nobody keeps your health. I got bad news for you. Every story ends the same way. If it's not Christ, he, he's the only one and only thing worthy of living for, of working towards, so to say. And so is, is that our reward? Does that motivate us? We care about it. Is it our purpose, Paul might say? Because when, when it is, everything else is a light and momentary struggle that's laying up for us a crown and glory. So Paul said, and so his words, all this, psst, suffering, endurance, persecution, jail, beating, eh, Jesus. All right, life intentional. This doesn't just happen. These are things that we introduce and bring in because we want to arrive at the place that God has called us to be, okay? All right, band's gonna come out, give us a moment. Let me pray. Jesus, love you, help us with this. Lord, help us to to live for you. There is so much else calling for our attention. And so we have to do this on purpose. So motivate us in those ways, Jesus, to know you, to experience you, to learn your heart and mind, to be transformed by it, not just inspired by it. Renew the way that we think, alter our perspective on life. And God, to embrace these things for ourselves and then for those who fall behind us. 
Would you press into our hearts in a deep way even now, Jesus? Press into the obstacles, the barriers, the fears, and the doubts and bring us to trust and hope in you in all things. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen.